Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast, helping moms to love wisely and well. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Wild, integrative pediatrician and mom of eight sons who continually challenge and teach me. Over the years, I've learned that rather than outward technique, it's the internal landscape of the heart that affects parenting more than anything else. Mothering is about being, not just doing. You have everything you need within you to become the parent you want to be. So let's bring it out. Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast. Today we have the honor of speaking with Hesha Abrams. She is an internationally renowned attorney mediator who solved over 10,000 matters and knows what works to resolve conflict. So Hesha has also recently written a book called Holding the Calm, The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension. And this title really resonated with me as a parent, as a somebody who advises parents, because that's really what we're all wishing for is to, <laughs> as the parent, somehow hold this calm in our families. So Hesha, could you begin by just telling us about some of the main nuggets from this book that really apply to families in terms of maintaining peace and calm? Well, so I like to use a spaghetti sauce analogy. If you drop spaghetti sauce on your counter, you wipe it right up with a sponge, right? No big deal. You leave it overnight, you're scraping it off with a spatula. Yes. It for months, it's moldy and gross. That's conflict. And that's why I call the book The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension. Because almost all tension turns into conflict, but all conflict starts with tension. Every single one, every single time. And what happens is we don't wipe the spaghetti sauce up while it's wet because we don't know how, we don't want to get involved, we're not sure what the reaction is going to be, we don't want to make it worse, so we ignore it, and it just makes everything worse. So I've had three decades in the trenches of human conflict. So I joke that I'm sort of the emergency room doctor of the law. Yes. What do I deal with? You know, doctors deal with pus and feces and blood and gore and gross stuff. Well, it's also gross. Anger, rage, arrogance, self-righteousness, selfishness, fear, misery, you know, passive aggressive, all of that stuff is what I deal with. Because when people are in conflict, they are not at their best. They don't yes. behave as their best. And we'll talk a little bit in this podcast today about the amygdala, which I know you know about. Right. Some of the listeners may not know about this. Two little kidney-shaped little things in the back of your skull, almost above the brainstem, that hijack your brain when you get upset. So when you get stressed out, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. <laughs> right. That's a really, really wise thing because so often parents, their first instinct when their kids are, you know, having meltdowns and starting to escalate is just to, you know, make a command to exactly. stop or, or become calm. Exactly. And it doesn't work. And it's actually very disrespectful. What it really says to someone is, you don't know what you're talking about. You're ridiculous. You're an idiot. Stop what you're doing right now. Stop what you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. You may get compliance, but it's just going to get stored away and squirt itself out in some ugly way. And it's not the way to build rapport with somebody. You know, so I have what I did. And the reason I wrote this book is I've given God, thousands and thousands of speeches at conferences and things like that. 
And everyone's always saying, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. It just poured out of me because I know tricks of what to do and what works. And I thought this has to be shared with the world. People have to learn easy things. These are things you can do right now to improve any situation that you are in. And so what I did is I wrote 20 tools in 20 chapters. So each chapter has a tool and then a lot of stories and anecdotes because our brains hear and receive information and stories. So wouldn't it be nice to have like 20 little magic wands that are or 20 little magic beans in your pocket to go, okay, I know I'm going to handle this. And that's why I did it. And it's funny. I use the expression in my own head, holding the calm. Like when I was working, I would walk into a very tense situation. And now, of course, I mean, I've done every kind of case from car accidents and someone being hurt or killed to giant business disputes. And now I really specialize in basically giant business disputes. And in every case, someone will say, I want $100 million. And a defendant will say, here's 10,000, go pound sand. Mm-hmm. You don't rationalize with people over that. You don't say, oh, you're wrong. You analyzed this wrong. You thought about this wrong. Never, ever, ever, ever do you out-argue somebody out of their position. Mm-hmm. So what works? And that's kind of what I wrote down. And it works in, I, what I'm finding is like my big business people will then talk with me about their marriages. Interesting. Their kids, <laughs> or, you know, how would I handle this? Or do you think that would work in this? And it's like, yes, because it's the DNA of human beings. We mm-hmm. have egos and we are literally, we play bumper car ego with each other. And if it's gentle and nice, growth can happen. If it's hard and aggressive, damage can happen. And none of us is perfect. We all say stupid things. We all do stupid things. We're all under stress. And then if you recognize it and say, you know what? That didn't come out the way I wanted it to. I didn't handle that well. Can I have a do-over? 98% of the toxicity and anger just drains away like that instantly. It's an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. And I think it's just gives hope to think of the fact that if we can just have the vision that conflict can be resolved, then that is the first step just to to see that it's possible even when we might be thinking, oh, I feel so much tension in this situation. So yes, sometimes we might have some of that old spaghetti sauce to scrape up in the beginning, but to think of how it feels to be more in prevention mode and not have to you know, be butting heads. Some of your listeners are listening to this saying, well, that wouldn't work with blah, blah. He's impossible to deal with, or she's a maniac, or she's crazy. But we take things to the absolute extreme. And I have a whole chapter that I call small winnable victories. Nothing ever gets solved by saying, I'm going to handle everything all at once. Big now, boom. It doesn't work like that. You erode the outside of the conflict and allow it to collapse in on itself. And sometimes you can have terrific rapport with somebody. I know if you and I got in conflict, Mary, you and I would talk and we would get it worked out because our personalities are in a line for that. But let's say that you're not in alignment or you've hurt me badly or betrayed me. I'll trust you. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder then, isn't it? Yes. It can still be done and it needs to be done because it will just get older and grosser and moldier and it will squirt out eventually in just an uglier format. Mm -hmm. So whatever I can do to start eroding the conflict and the tension around the outside makes everything better. And that's why I have all these literally 20 tools about how to do it that I've gotten so many letters from people saying it's just 
change their lives and change their relationships by one little silly something. Do you want one quick one right now? Yeah, I was just going to say, I need to hear one of these stories because I am a big proponent of teaching through stories. And with kids, you know, sometimes we can even just very strategically get a book off a shelf and tell a story. And I think it can be so powerful. And with older kids, you know, sometimes it has to be a little more strategic because it's not like we're sitting down with for story time. <laughs> so tell us right. one of these stories. And I, right. I would love to hear just how to use it, how to apply it in the moment in maintaining this sense of calm. So let me give you a story that's designed for the parents. This is probably not a story you would tell to kids, but you would tell mm-hmm. other parents because it will help you understand that. And then I'll give you some things that we're going to do with kids and teenagers. So let me give you this one just as a concept because it'll blow everybody's mind. That's why I like doing it. So there was a couch company that sold very, very expensive, customized, bespoke couches. You know, the kind of $20,000, $25,000 couches. You go online, you pick out your fabric, you pick out your arms and the side. Everything was custom. People would go all the way through the process and right before closing the sale, they'd give up. And the company couldn't figure out what was going on. So they put more gas into the car, more marketing, more persuasion, didn't change anything. So finally, they hired someone to say, find out what is going on. So this guy called each one of these people that went through the point of sale because, you know, they had registered and just in a very nice customer service chit chatty way, just kind of asked what happened. Do you know what the number one reason was why people who could afford a $20,000 couch didn't buy a new one? What was it? They couldn't figure out how to get rid of their old couch. Now, once you understand that, solution is easy, right? When we bring you your new one, we will take away your old one. Sales skyrocketed. Wow. So I love that story because, you know, I joke that we have flat foreheads because we smash our faces against the wall. You know, that's what we do. So when you get into a situation where you feel roadblocked, kids not listening to you, partners not listening to you, work neighbor, friend at your church or synagogue, or, you know, it's like you know, mosque, whoever is not hearing you into some kind of a roadblock. Don't just keep putting more gas on it and just keep driving it forward. Step back and say, okay, what are the barriers here? What is something that might be getting in the way? And if I can get rid of that barrier, okay, I might have clear sailing. I might have some other options. So I like that story because it gives you a framework because When you are in conflict, number one, always for everybody, you feel powerless. I can't make you do something I want you to do, or you're trying to make me do something I don't want to do. But it also works with belief. I'm trying to make you believe something you don't want to do. You're trying to make me believe something I don't want to do. So it always ends up where there's some sense of powerlessness to it that we respond with either force I'm going to make you and I'm going to get aggressive or I'm going to get passive aggressive and I'm going to withhold and manipulate and get you afterwards, or I'm going to cry or I'm going to run away or I'm going to fight back or I'm going to create allies that are also going to attack you. And all we do is make the work bigger and bigger and bigger where with the idea is to diffuse it and get rid of the old couch. Yes. I love that. And because sometimes it's, the situation and the solution is really something very, very simple if we could just land on it, if we could just discover it. So it does take some stepping back and observation. So sometimes with little kids that they can't even verbalize, but even just stepping back to observe 
but often we can just ask simple questions. If you'd like, I'll give you the number one technique I use with big emotions. Yes. So, you know, big emotions can be scary. They can be frustrating, you know, because I, I don't I want you to handle my big emotions, but I don't want to handle your big emotions. That's kind of the way the game seems to go. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very hard to do that. And so the number one thing you do is you name the emotion. So, and I have a technique called VUCS, V-U-C-S. And for your listeners out there that are figuring out, you know, why I named it VUCS is because it sounds like a curse word, which means you're going to remember it. It's V for validate, U for understand, C for clarify, S for summarize. It's a simple four-step thing you can use in any situation with anybody you just speak into the ears that are hearing you. So you would, how you would handle to a child or a teen or an adult or a boss, you know, would, would be how you frame what the issue is. But the number one piece of the validate is, I don't want to validate you. I think you're stupid. I think you're wrong. I think you're misguided. I think you're annoying. It's very hard to say, oh, yes, I understand your perspective and da, 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 da. Now, sometimes you can do that. And isn't that marvelous when you can? I'm more interested in those times when you can't because that's the help that we actually need. So I'm not feeling empathetic with you. I don't agree with you. I don't like your position. You scare me. You worry me. I don't like what's happening, but I still have to somehow diffuse this, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're having a big emotion, I'm going to say, wow, you seem really angry. Boy, is this scary to you? Do you, is this frustrating? How would that impact you? All of those questions, literally, I promise you, drain 50% of the poison out. And let's say you say to somebody, wow, you seem angry. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. Okay, you're frustrated. (laughs) It's not about being right. It's about making the person feel seen and heard. So I have a big emotion. I want you to understand that this is really important to me, or I'm really scared, or I'm really upset. And don't argue with me and tell me I'm wrong. Just hear what's going on for me. Mm-hmm. How respectful that is. I see you. I hear you. I'm going to hold the calm for you because you clearly can't hold the calm for yourself. So I'm going to hold it for you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to create this safe moat around you where you can release some of that and let some of it drain out. And that's the V part. You know, then the you part is I don't like empathize because empathize is a it's a great word that is very hard for us to do unless someone is really thinks just like you. It's Mm -hmm. very hard to empathize with them, but you can always understand. Mm -hmm. You can always say, "Okay, I I don't agree with that perspective and I wouldn't see it that way. But, you know, you're not crazy. I understand from your worldview, you would see it that way. Mm -hmm. And then the C is you ask questions just to get more information. And the S is you summarize. You can do Vox in a minute and a half, or you can do it in an hour. It depends on what's needed. And I think when you're talking about the validation aspect, I think it really needs to be authentic. We can't just say words. We have to really find something we can authentically validate. Yes. And and tell, tell me a little more of what you mean by speak to the ears. What do you mean by speak to the ears that are hearing you? So let me, I'm going to answer that, but I want to answer something you said first, just for a moment there. Let's say it is hard to empathize and understand with someone because you really don't like them. Let's say you're stuck with a terrible boss at work or a bad teacher for your kid or a scoutmaster or a neighbor or, you know, whatever. 
and I don't see anything good about this person at all, right? I'm that angry and annoyed and I don't. Ask yourself, would they pull your kid out of a burning car? And the answer to that nine times out of 10 is yes. And when you look at them that way, they're such a jerk, but they would pull my kid out of a burning car. All right, there might be something redeemable there. Right. (laughs) Mentally shifts from a glass being half empty to a glass being half full. Same amount of liquid, but it's my perspective will change how I interact with them and then therefore change how they interact with me. Just that mentally is dramatic. And that's a big part of holding the calm is you, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Simply saying the words, let's say even, I mean, I'm human. I've got an amygdala. I can get triggered. Yeah. I literally say to myself, I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. It takes six seconds. Now I don't feel powerless anymore. I've got options. I've got choices. How do I choose to react? What do I choose to do or say? And literally, it's like a mantra or a talisman or a rabbit's foot. Mm-hmm. Holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. And it's not just about calming yourself down. It's about giving yourself power. Because if you're activated, you are now feeling powerless. That's why we get activated. You need to grab some power back somehow. Now, I can grab it aggressively and mean and difficult. Moldy spaghetti sauce, guys. Or... I can just do it for myself. I'm holding the calm. And that's why it works better than saying, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath is good. But all that does is really calm you and kind of oxygenate you, but you still feel powerless. But if you say, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm. I am doing something. I can do something. I have power. Okay, I feel a little bit better now. Now, segueing to your other question, I can choose to speak into the ears that are hearing me. Because I'm going to speak differently to you than I would speak to Joe or to Jane or, you know, whoever else, which means I have to see you. I can't treat everybody the same. I have to actually see you. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, but for some of your listeners, there's a famous behavioralist named Abraham Maslow. And he said, if all you have is a hammer, all you will see are nails. So the key is you need more tools than you can see more. And then I look at you and say, okay, I need to talk to you about something. All right. You you like chocolate ice cream. You like vanilla ice cream. Which way am I going to talk to you? How am I going to do this? And it's not as hard as you think. I joke that Mr. Baskin and Mrs. Robbins have 32 flavors of ice cream. And yet I read somewhere that 80% of the ice cream they sell is uh, chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry. It's hilarious. So it's not that hard. If you start practicing to where I'm just going to speak differently to two kinds of people, that's it. Okay, now three. I get better. Now four. Now I have 30 years of experience, you know, 10,000 hours dribbling basketballs at that hoop in my profession. Right. I can talk to probably 20 different kinds of people now, but it's, it's just practice is all it is. So start out with, this is my MO, how I talk. Okay, you got that one down. You know that one. Right. What would be the next one? Yeah. If I'm an extrovert, how would I talk to introverts? If I'm an introvert, how would I talk to extroverts? And I'll give you, your, your listeners, one more lovely thing. And you probably know this already, Mary. Neuroscience has done so much wonderful studying of the brain. Mm-hmm. And that we know that people resonate with words like an operating system in our brains. Sort of you're an IBM or you're a Mac. 
you know, or you're an Android or you're an iPhone, com- different operating systems. Mm-hmm. So you're either a feeler or a thinker. So if you say to me, I don't think I could do that, I wouldn't say, how does that feel to you? Because you'd go, what? Like, it just wouldn't resonate. But if you're a feeler and I say, well, what do you think about that? I don't care what I think about that. What I feel is what matters, right? Yeah. So just thinking and feeling is huge. Mm-hmm. And for those of you willing to go with me on a little journey for another level of advanced class above that is visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Our brains process information either visually, auditorially from our ears, or kinesthetically, which means touching and feeling with our fingers. So for example, I'm doing Vox with you and you're mm-hmm. speaking about whatever. If I can tell if you're visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, you're going to say, I'm going to say, I see what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Mm. Now, we may say, oh, that's not a big deal. How could it not work? So listeners of this program, try it. You will be shocked. It's IBM versus Apple. It's Android versus iPhone. It is dramatic. And people won't say, oh, you used the right word. Now I understand you. Now, now this is all subconscious brain kind of junk. Right. And what will happen is if you do it right, people will just say, she gets me. And they won't be able to articulate why. They'll just feel this like tribal connection. You get me. I get you. We're alike. We're compadres. Mm -hmm. And all it really was, was I saw what your operating system was. And I speak to you in those words. And it's super easy. When someone's talking, just listen to them. They will use visual words. I see that. That looks good to me. I like that picture. Hmm. Or they'll use auditory words. And by the way, 65, 70% of people are visual. So if you have to guess, start with visual first. (laughs) Then auditory. And auditory is, I don't like the way that sounds. Hmm. I hear what you're saying. It's not hard because they use sound words. Kinesthetic is they will use doing action words. I don't want to do that. No, no, no. That doesn't feel right in my gut. That doesn't feel right to me. My heart's not in it. Things like that. Now, in auditory is the smallest percentage of people, which is interesting. If you think about most teaching and education, it's auditory. Right. You're just talking at people. And then we wonder why kids misbehave and why they don't do well in school. My guess is they're not auditory learners. Yes. And I, when I think about another clue, if you have a child that needs to experience everything for themselves, that you can say, don't touch the pan because it's hot, and they have to learn that it's hot by touching it. They're often the, the teenagers that are, the most, you know, give us the biggest headaches. They're probably kinesthetic learners because they're the people who have to go and bump against every boundary. So that's yes. another clue. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. And you know what I would say as parents, again, we have to make 10,000 statements. I would try not to say don't. Now, I even do it myself even now with grandchildren because you're human, right? Right. But let's say don't touch the hot pan. You're not really going to get that much compliance because now I wonder what it feels like and is it fun and cool to do it. So you're only going to get the compliant children or the fearful children who go, oh, I don't want to get burnt. But the other children go, "Mm, I wonder what's there it's better to give information because you're speaking into the ears that are hearing you. You know that pan is hot. If you touch it, you'll get burned. And did you know that burns are one of the most painful things in the body? Do you know why? Because we have nerve endings all over our skin. And so 
if someone hits you in the head or burns you, which do you think hurts more? Oh, the burn. Mm. So I don't think I'd make that choice. Your compliance rate will quadruple if you do it like that. <laughs> right. Giving information. I, I love that. And I tell that to parents a lot too, to even just speak of the positive and giving directives and what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. And that's the thing I would say, if you get resistance, don't just keep saying it again and again louder. It's a barrier. Get rid of the couch. Right. What, what else? I'm getting resistance. I'm getting a barrier. Try a different approach because that approach is clearly not working. It's solving the right problem. It requires you to stop a minute, hold the calm, look or hear before you do, and then decide what's the right way to handle this. What's the best approach to handle this? Mm-hmm. So I have a question in terms of how these approaches can work within ourselves as well, because sometimes we are walking with inner conflicts. You know, we feel like, oh, I I want to be out and doing this work, but yet I feel like I need to be here with my kids. Or I feel like our family needs this, but part of me feels like our family needs that. So yes. do some of these strategies, can they be applied inwardly to create more of a centeredness? That's such an insightful question, Mary, because the answer is yes, of course. And that's why I said earlier in the program how I say, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm. I do that when I have those feelings, because when you have those feelings, they can be diagnostic. But then if you don't do anything with them and you just kind of fret over them, it's like you're taking an ice pick to your gas tank and just draining your gas out. Like, why? It doesn't do any good for you at all. So the question is, can I do something about this? If I can, I'm going to do it. If I can't do anything about it, I'm going to put it off to the side and deal with it later because I can't deal with it right now. Then that lets me focus where I am doing what it is that I have to do. Otherwise, you don't do either thing right or well, and you just make yourself nuts. And our society weirdly rewards that. And it's just crazy. Like there's no benefit to it. It's being present and holding the calm when it's hard, when it's easy. Come on, big deal. But it's when it's hard that it matters. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling conflicted. I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm 63 now. So I was a young lawyer back in the day when there was no support at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was absolutely pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. And I felt guilty all the time. And I had friends who are the stay at home moms or had really light and easy jobs. And they would bake cookies with their kids and do stuff. And man, my kids were lucky I drove through and bought them a cupcake somewhere, you know? And it was, Mm -hmm. I I made myself nuts, Mm -hmm. always feeling like a failure, no matter where I was. And it took me, oh, a long time, long time, you know, and some therapy Mm -hmm. to figure out, I'm not helping anybody. I'm not doing anything. So I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to hold the calm and make a choice. And when I make that choice, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do that. And then when I make, I want to make another choice, I have power. Yeah. I'm not powerless. I can make another choice. It changed everything. Mm-hmm. And it meant that in the moments, you know, like I'll just share this with you. My son is 40 and I'm very, you know, very close with my children and mm-hmm. with their in-law children and I have four grandchildren. So I employ all these things. Mm-hmm. And I always felt a little bit guilty that I wasn't as much there as I really wanted to be. My kids don't feel that way at all. I mean, they're adults. My daughter's Mm -hmm. 36. Mm -hmm. They don't feel that way at all, which is shocking to me because I beat myself up pretty badly about that. Mm 
And my son remembered this sweet story where in, I don't remember, I think it's ninth grade English, he had a vocabulary test every Friday. And getting him to study all week was impossible. Study, got to do it. He would never do it. It would just be a source of conflict. So I said, fine. He was a quick learner. Mm -hmm. So every Friday morning, I would take him out to the bagel store for an hour. And he and I would have bagels and then practice his vocabulary words. And then he would go in and take the test and do well on it. We did that every single Friday for that ninth grade year. I had forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't even, that is a powerful memory for him, a very strong memory for him. Mm -hmm. And I could have been nagging him and fighting with him and arguing with him all week to study the stupid vocabulary. It wasn't going to work. So I got rid of the old couch. I found a system that worked. And that's what I would say to everybody listening. If it's not working, don't smash your forehead against the wall again. Change it. Find something different and do it a different way. Ah, so much better. And <laughs> so I, love, much more I love how that just empowers us to just take action, make a decision, because like the root cause of a lot of the suffering that we go through is feeling stuck. And mm-hmm. we're really not stuck. <laughs> there are ways to get around these things. So that brings us to my final question of creative solutions. I know you really are a proponent of this idea that creative solutions are out there. And can you give us an example or an illustration of, you know, when a creative solution really was the thing that saved the day? So that is good. And I just had this intuitive feeling that I need to say something to your listeners now too, not to be intimidated that if you can't do it the way I'm doing it or the way you do it, Mary, Mm -hmm. you and I live in this space. We practice it every day. We're NBA basketball players, right? Mm -hmm. The goal is to get better. Best is the enemy of better. Mm -hmm. Let me just say that again. Best is the enemy of better. I'm 63 years old. I better be better at 73. And I'm looking forward to that. I might actually be fully cooked in my 80s. I'm looking forward to see who I'm going to be. I should be better. You know, I want to be better. So this continuous improvement thing is what lets you go, I thought of this really creative idea. So I'll give you something that uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky won a Nobel Prize in economics for proving this concept. It's called loss aversion. 90% of people are more worried about what they're going to lose than what they might have to gain. And when we incentivize children, we incentivize them with, I'm going to take that away from you. Well, I just made you more powerless and more resistant to me, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to try to incentivize you and give you this. But people are not so incentivized, which is so interesting. So how do you use creatively this loss aversion thing? So when my kid was little, my daughter was little, I wanted her to make her bed every day. I just felt like making your bed was a certain level of responsibility that you're not a slob. And you just you know throw the covers over your bed. It's not a big deal. Do it every day. And it was mm-hmm. such a fight. So, And I write about this in the book. So I gave her seven quarters, a quarter for every day of the week. And I said, these are yours. And I lined them up on the windowsill. Every day that you don't make your bed, I'm taking a quarter away. What? Huh? What? Like they couldn't even barely understand it. So the first day she didn't make her bed. I didn't say a word. I just took her quarter away. What? What happened to my quarter? Because when it's your quarter, it's not worth very much. When it's my quarter, it's worth a lot. Right. Next, next day she made her bed. Next day she made her bed. 
third day or fourth day, she didn't. I took another quarter away. That's all it took. Never had to do it again. Wow. (laughs) I'll have to try that one. (laughs) I'm still working on that issue. (laughs) It works. It's dramatic because think of the difference. If you make your bed every day, I'll give you a quarter. Eh, Whatever. I have the quarters and I'm going to lose them if I don't comply. And it's not a big fight. It's not an arguing. I'm not going to nag you. I'm not going to argue with you. It's just fact. Red light means stop. Green light means go. So think about that with other things. As a parent, you have so much power and we misuse that power. We threaten, we cajole, we argue, then we give in, which just teaches them that our word doesn't mean anything. And it becomes very challenging. Never, ever, ever discipline your kid in anger because you will say stupid stuff and then you got to live with it. So there's nothing wrong with saying, I am so angry with you right now. I am so upset with you right now. I'm going to take a minute to hold the calm and decide how I'm going to handle this. Well, didn't you just model for them what they should do when they have big emotions? Then you can come back and say, I am very upset and disappointed about that. And this is how I think we're going to handle it. Now, sometimes you can solicit their opinion. Sometimes you cannot. Depends on what the thing is and what your parenting style is. But you just modeled non-reactivity. And let's say you react and you overreact. Can mom have a do-over? Can dad have a do-over? I didn't handle that the way I wish I had. Wow, you just gave power back to them. Now they're not in conflict with you and power struggle with you. Then you just modeled for them that when they screw up, they can go, dad, I didn't handle that well. Mom, I didn't handle that well. Can I have a do-over? Yes, you can. And I'll tell your listeners a little trick to do with little ones. My grandson is seven now and he is a handful. (laughs) And what I do is I've taught him this and I just spin him around one way and then spin around the other way and say, okay, do a do-over now. And then he does because my grandson is kinesthetic. So I need to give him something a little physical, right? If I had a visual kid, I'd say, look up at the sky. You see clouds, look up at the ceiling grab for a better idea, come back down. So you, you apply it based on speaking into the ears that are hearing you, which is how we started out this entire conversation. Yes. <laughs> and I love how things come full circle. And I love how the tools that you're offering help us recognize the power of calm and the power of non-reactivity in resolving conflict. Thank you so much, Hesha, for sharing your wisdom with us. And where would you direct the listeners to find you, to find your book? So it's on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, you know, Walmart, wherever, Audible, Kindle, wherever books are sold. And it's mm-hmm. Holding the Calm, The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension. Also, I have a wonderful webpage called holdingthecalm.com. So you can sign up for what I call my monthly tips. And once a month or more, if I feel like it, I'll send out little 45 second videos and little short tips about how to handle this or how do we do that in short little things. And it's free and it's easy. And it just sign up on the website, holdingthecalm.com. Thank you so much, Hesha, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Compassion Parenting Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What resonated with you? What questions came up? Let's continue the conversation on Instagram at Compassion Parenting or within my free Facebook group, Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. Links are in the show notes. If you've gained insight from the time we've shared today, 
leave a review, and subscribe. There's a quick how-to in the show notes. Have a blessed week. May you love yourself, your family, and the world wisely and well.